This is the Pleasant View Sermons podcast for the week of April 11th, 2021. This week's sermon, What's Next for the Church? And now, here's Brother Stephen Beatty. Well, it's hard to believe we're already a week out of Easter Sunday. Glad you're here this morning. Those of you watching, we'll be watching later online. Glad to have you with us. And what's next for the church? You ever wonder what's next for tomorrow in our own lives? You know, we don't know what tomorrow holds, and we plan things out in our individual lives, and that's okay to do. Let's keep God involved. But what's next for the church? As we've just come off of Easter Sunday, and we remembered the resurrection of Christ, and we know. 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, and the Sunday school lesson says now he has, he promised a, a counselor, a helper, a guider for us, that Holy Spirit, in the place of Jesus right now, because Jesus has left the building, but one day he's coming again for his bride, the New Testament church, so we can have that view from that room, as that song said. It's a story of a young lady it was getting ready for a blind date. And this wasn't just your typical going out to eat and going to the movie. This was a planned dinner at an exclusive reserved restaurant, not only with uh, food, but live music and dancing. How many would like to have that kind of dinner date? That you know, we don't have that here in Mount Vernon. We've got to go got to go other places to find that kind of stuff. But but she wanted to make her first impression so good that she took the whole day off from work to get prepared for this blind date. She cleaned up her apartment. She went that day to get her hair done and, and find the, the prettiest dress she can find and get the manicure she thought she needed. And She got home. She got her makeup all done and put on that dress and was ready for that blind date to come pick her up. But the arrival didn't, didn't show at the appropriate time. And so she continued to wait patiently, and she waited, and she waited. Finally, about after an hour, she figured she'd been stood up. So she decided to get herself undressed and take her hair down and put on her best pajamas and grab the junk food out of the, out of the cabinet and sit down and, to watch some television. Well, a little bit of time went by, and she heard a, heard a knock at the door. She said, well, who can that be? And she got up and went to the door and she opened it up, and in a surprise, it was their blind date. He introduced himself, and he looked at her kind of awkward, and he, he said, you know what? I gave you two extra hours to get, to get prepared, and you're still not ready. <laughs> oh, man, could you imagine? I can imagine what the next thing would have been for that blind date. There wouldn't have probably been no date. door would have closed. But, you know, you know, it's funny, you know, but there's some truth into that story, you know, that relates to us, you know. You know, whenever we have appointments, doctor's appointments, or we plan on meeting in somebody for dinner or whatever kind of engagement we have, we set appropriate times, don't we? An, appro- an approximate time when we want to meet and, and have that, uh, that gathering, whatever it might be. But God, though, in the Bible, and we've talked about this, and Gary hit some points this morning, this world is not on the yes end, it's on the descend. There seems like you can't turn a, a click on a mouse to one page on the internet without reading something terrible that's gone on in our country. 
or hear it on television. It's all doom and gloom. God gives us signs of things that are taking place right now that the soon return of his son is inevitable. But we don't know when that time is now, do we? We don't know that exact time that his son is going to return. But before his second coming, something else has to happen. And we know that as the teaching in God's word, and we'll talk about it this morning, the rapture of the church. Um, it's not talked about a whole lot. You know, we mentioned about being caught up one day, and uh, but a lot of a lot of churches stay away from Bible prophecy because it might be too complicated, or people just don't want to hear it. You know, they want to know what's going on right now. But as we're going to discuss this morning in the Bible, it teaches about a rapture. There are different views on the timing of the rapture, and we'll discuss that a little bit. But I'm going to try to hear for quite a, some time. I'm going to try to start talking a little bit more about the culture today and how it's leading to the second coming of Christ. So this is kind of a, uh, getting our feet into the water a little bit on Bible prophecy. We need to be talking more about what's going on because about 30% of God's Word refers to Bible prophecy. And I know we don't need to worry about what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. We're not going to be here but it is very important because God put, said so in God's Word. And I just want to talk about the rapture of the church this morning. On the screen, um, Daniel will have a diagram there. If you can see it, um, it kind of gives you an overview of what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. You know, if you'll notice in the far left of your screen, there is a cross. We know what that represents. That represents 2,000 years ago what our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, went through. He was on that Good Friday, died, and he was buried. And three days later, he rose again, what we just celebrated last Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then 40 days later, his ascension into heaven. And then if you move on further into that diagram, you will see what's called the church age. Okay? The church age. That's where we're at right now. And at the end of the church age, when the last person who God has set forth that will be saved, the church will be raptured out. And then after the rapture, the Bible doesn't tell us. It could be a matter of days, weeks, perhaps month before, months before Antichrist comes in and takes his tyrannical rule for seven years is what we know as the Great Tribulation. The Bible talks it, Daniel's 70th week. Uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. And then at the end, if you move on to the chart, you will notice at the end is the second coming of Jesus Christ when he finally comes to take back what is rightfully his that was his from the very beginning. And then you'll notice on after the second coming is the millennium. That's milli in uh, Latin, thousand, annum, year, thousand year reign of Jesus Christ where he will, per he will fulfill all of the prophecies to Israel. There are prophecies still not fulfilled. They haven't received all that land, but they will during Christ's millennial reign. Well, he will rule on the throne of David in the capital, Jerusalem, and the temple. He will rule and reign for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says during that Satan must be released. Remember, in a thousand years, Satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years, where relatively sin is basically put on hold for a while. But God has to release him, the Bible says, 
for one last rebellion for that last generation of people can make a choice. We've all, every man, woman, and child has had to make a choice in this world. They're going to follow the Lord or they're not going to follow him. This generation, this last generation will have that choice. And then we know what happens. They don't even really get going on this rebellion against God. He is cast forever and ever into the lake of fire. And then John says the great white throne judgment he sees suspended in space um, where all non-believers, those who died, who did not accept the blood of Jesus, will be judged for their works. They'll go in confident, but when they realize it's based off the standards of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to fall short, and they too will be cast into the lake of fire, separated from God forever and ever. And then Peter says that this present heaven, this present earth will be done away with, burned up with fervent heat. Even the foundational building blocks have to go because of S-I-N, sin. And then we know John says after that, on the newly created earth, he sees the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, come down and come with this newly created earth. Now, that's Bible prophecy in about three minutes. Pretty good? Okay. There's a lot of stuff to fill in there, but that's you get the general idea of what the Bible is teaching here and where we're at. Like I said, we are in that gap right now between the church age when it began at the day of Pentecost, the celebration at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit finally came upon all the apostles until the time of the rapture. We are in that church age right now, folks, which will precede uh, the seven-year tribulation and the, the rapture. Now, people have many questions about the rapture. Well, number one, well, what is the rapture? Okay, we all know what the rapture is. Perhaps somebody may be listening this morning. Here is a good definition of the rapture. The rapture is of the church is the end of the church age in which all believers will be snatched away or caught up by Christ to meet him in the air with the dead in Christ prior to the great tribulation. Okay, I said there are different views on the timing of the rapture. We'll get into that briefly this morning, but I'm sure all of us here, we are what we call pre-tribulationists. We believe the rapture happened prior to the great tribulation. And we'll get into the reasons, five different reasons why I believe that is true. Now, where's it taught in Scripture? Okay, Some people say the rapture, the word rapture, isn't there. Well, in the English Bible, no, but we'll get into that too. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the rapture is taught. It's not taught in the Old Testament. The only example, we two examples we have in the Old Testament, in the beginning, Enoch, okay, he, was, he did right in the sight of God, and God, what, lifted him up, caught him, snatched him away, and he walked with God in heaven. And then sometime later, the prophet Elijah, what happened with him? He was caught up in the chariot of fire, the whirlwind. He was raptured. And then we know examples in the New Testament. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Now, people say, well, you know, Jesus talked about the rapture. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so eager to tell you this morning, no, Jesus never mentioned the rapture. Like, huh? Well, hold on. Things to come in just a few minutes. We'll explain why that I say Jesus did not mention the rapture. But the Apostle Paul, though, Paul, who came a year later and was converted on that Damascus Road after about a year after Christ 
resurrection and ascension into heaven, Paul was given the task of revealing, as in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about the mystery, the mystery of the church. You know, when you think of mystery, you think of uh, some kind of uh, mystery novel, something eerier, creepy, creepy, something like that. No, with a mystery in the Bible, it's not creepy at all. A mystery in the Bible is just something that's been known by God for all eternity that he has kept to himself for a specific time and period for it to be revealed later. That's what this mystery is. Now, the main context, the, the main verses that the most eminent verses that tell us about the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And before we read them, a little quick uh, lesson that why he had to put this in this letter. Well, he just didn't do it. Just I think they need to know this. No, they had sent, the church of Thessalonica was asking questions. Asking questions. Those first generation of Christians, something was happening as they got older. What happens? You die, don't you? We all die. And their questions to the younger Christians was, what's happening to our parents or, or grandparents that have come to faith in Christ? They're dying. Jesus hasn't come back. Is all lost? I think, Paul, if you, if you read between the lines and these people then, they thought, just like we do today, that Jesus Christ is going to come back in our lifetime. They thought the same thing. How many of you believe that Jesus is really going to come back in our lifetime? I have to believe it. And every generation has believed that. And it's just a natural thing. They believed it, but then these people were dying. And Paul said, don't worry about your your loved ones. And this is what he says, starting in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed. That's another word for being ignorant, he said, brethren, about those who are asleep. Those who are asleep, folks, those who have died in Christ, okay? So that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be, there it is, caught up, snatched up, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. I love this part. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Water. So comforting, isn't it? Yes, Paul Paul said, I want you to be comforted by this. He explained that word rapture in your English Bible. Yes, technically it's not there. But however, How many of you have a Latin Bible? No. Okay, we don't know Latin. But if you had a Latin Bible, it would say rapturo. Here we go. Rapture, which is a translation from the original Hebrew word harpazo, caught up, snatched away. It's there. Don't let anyone ever tell you the rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, the word's not there. You just got to have a different translation, folks. And we don't speak Latin, okay? We speak modern English. 
but it's still the same word. The word caught up is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. If you remember, the apostle Paul, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, you know, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body, who in the world knows, but he said he was caught up. He was harpazoed. He was rapturoed into the third heaven, the abode of God. And God showed him things. He said, you better not utter a word, didn't he? He was raptured, folks. And then how about in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch was headed back from the celebration in Jerusalem. And he, uh, the Holy Spirit brought upon him to preach the gospel to him because he had questions. And he asked him, how can I be saved and baptized? And Philip told him, and there was some water, and he baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then after that, what happened to Philip instantaneously? What would happen? He was raptured. He was snatched away to go to another location. His job right there was finished. As I explained, the dead in Christ. Who are the dead in Christ? Folks, people out there, you may, I told you, what the dead in Christ. I told you who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Jesus. They're dead right now. But the dead in Christ is that parent, that grandparent that loved Jesus and gave their life for Jesus on this earth. They might have been martyred, but they believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness and trusted in Him and Him alone for the forgiveness of their sins. They have died. Grandparents, parents, family members, family members, close friends. How about an unborn child or a child who, a little child who died prematurely? Those are the dead in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 53. And, and we went, we, this was our public reading. We're going to read, read it again and go on into the 53rd verse. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Here it is again, another mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Look at this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the what? Imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. We will not all sleep. There is a generation of Christians who will not experience death. We may be that generation of Christians. Only God knows when that time is going to believe. And like I said, Paul believed it very much said. He said, we will not all sleep. Well, we includes him as well, doesn't it? He believed that. He really did. But his timing, our timing, and the Lord's timing are completely two different things. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Jesus has waited. You know, because we get to experience salvation, that great plan that God had set from the foundation of the world. Amen? The rapture is imminent. It can happen before this service is over with. There is nothing that has to come to pass before the rapture happens. The second coming, as we'll get into in a moment, is loaded with prophecies. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies of the second coming but zero for the rapture. Nothing has to happen for the rapture to take place. Now, notice how fast the rapture is going to happen. Did it say the blinking? No. As much as fast as the blinking of an eye is, a twinkling of an eye. And the best thing I could come up with and find is that it says the twink 
is the amount of time that it takes light to enter the eye, reflect off the retina to be seen and be seen. Now, with light traveling how fast? 386,000 miles per hour. That means a twinkle is about one-sixth of a billionth of a second. Whew. That's, only God could do something like that. There is nothing on this earth that could even come close to trying to, to uh, replicate how fast that is. We will all be raptured and receive glorified bodies that quick. If you blink, you're going to miss it. If you blink 10,000 times, you're going to miss it because that's how fast it's going to happen. Now, people say, well, is the rapture and the second coming, are they the same thing? Some people think, well, yeah, there are some similarities, but there are some vast differences as well. And I'm going to go through quickly a few of them. Okay, Christ at the rapture comes in the air. He never makes, makes it to the ground, as we just read. Second coming, though, he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. Remember in Acts chapter 1, where he is finally, he told his disciples, I, my time is up, I'm going at the Mount of Olives. And they watch him ascended into heaven. And then the angels came and said, this same Jesus is coming back in the same like manner. He's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives at his second coming. Isn't it amazing? The exact same spot he ascended, he's going to come back at his second coming at the exact same geographical location to come back and defeat evil once and for all. At the rapture, the tribulation begins. Now, one day I may discuss that, that I don't believe it's going to happen just within a few seconds after the church is gone. There may take a little time because things are going to get completely out of hand once the restrainer that is lifted. The church is gone. It could be days. It could be weeks. It could be months. We just don't know. But at the second coming, though, the vast difference is Christ's millennial kingdom begins, doesn't it, after he comes and establishes what's rightfully his. I told you a minute ago, the rapture, no signs, no prophecies have to be fulfilled. At his second coming, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that have to be fulfilled. At the rapture, the world is deceived, aren't they? The final world dictator, the Antichrist, comes on the scene and puts on a strong delusion God allows for the people who chose not to believe through the Antichrist. But at his second coming, Satan is bound for a thousand years. He can't deceive, can he? That thousand-year reign, he cannot after his second coming. And lastly, believers depart the earth at the rapture. At his second coming, though, unbelievers are taken away from the earth. Now, I want to focus just a moment. I, I kind of got ahead of myself on this last part here about unbelievers at his second coming being taken away into judgment. People say, well, there are some verses that back up Jesus was talking about the rapture. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 41. These are very misapplied verses in the gospel. Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Here's the key, the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now pay attention. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away 
so will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women, two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Notice the key word here, taken, not caught up. People, some people think, there it is. Jesus mentioned the rapture. Big, fat, zero. This is not what he was talking about. The days of Noah. Jesus said they were doing everything but paying attention, being warned for all those years. His judgment is coming. You can have a chance for your life to be prolonged, but these people didn't do it. So it will be at his second coming. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage and doing whatever the heck they think is best in life for them. Jesus is going to come, and when he comes, he's going to take them away into judgment. They are not left. They are taken away just like the flood came and took them all away. He wasn't talking about the rapture. One reason he didn't ever mention the rapture to his disciples is because they were all Jews. The rapture is, des is designed and exclusively for the Gentile, the church of Jesus Christ. They would have had no idea when they asked him about what is the things to come. You know, Jesus would go into tribulation and then his second coming. He never did mention a rapture for that very reason. He was talking to Jews. He wasn't talking to Gentiles. But did he not know about it? Of course he knew about it. Like I said, that was reserved for Paul. Paul got all the dirty work, didn't he? Uh, revealing the mystery of the church. Now, I said there are different views about the rapture. The position we hold, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. I want to look briefly at the other two, mid and post, and then we'll get into the what I believe is true and what the Bible teaches, pre-tribulation. The mid-tribulation rapture holds that the rapture of the church will occur at the midpoint, three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation. In this view, it says basically only, only the last half of Daniel's 70th week is tribulation. Not there, just trumped itself. A week a, a, a week in the Bible, it was in Daniel's time, was given to him as seven years, not three and a half, a seven-year period. The ch they say the church has been promised persecution and tribulation since all who live godly will experience such things. That is true. If you live for Jesus Christ and you're in Christ, get ready for persecution. Now in America, Gary touched on it this morning, where it's relatively easy to become a Christian and to practice our faith, with little to no persecution, folks, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, Northern Africa, China, they're having to go through re-education camps, many of them imprisonment, beaten, many of them martyred for their faith. We don't have, to, we don't have that in our country right now, but I believe it's coming, though. I believe it's coming because the culture, things are changing drastically. The problem with that view is the church has been promised persecution and tribulation while on the earth from man, not from God. All the persecution is coming from dictators and government, not God's wrath. It's man's wrath controlled by the enemy, Satan himself. Tribulation is not only from man pouring out wrath, but from God. The problem with that, the whole tribulation period is seen as the wrath of God uh, talked about in Revelation chapter 6. 
If you remember in Revelation 5, Jesus Christ was the one who opened those first seals of judgment. The sealed scrolls would contain, contained all the judgments of the tribulation. It is Christ who broke those seals and released those judgments on the earth. So if the church is here during the tribulation, we're going to have to face God's wrath. And folks, what did we just celebrate? Remember last Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus Christ hung on that cross for one reason only, to give us a chance at eternal life in heaven by taking every sin of the world on himself and experiencing God's wrath. We don't have to experience God's wrath, amen, because Jesus Christ did it himself once and once for all. Post-tribulation, here we go. This is kind of silly, but listen. It teaches that the rapture and the second coming kind of come simultaneously, kind of like a big circle, up and back down, up into heaven and immediately right back down. If I keep doing that, you're going to get dizzy. I'm going to get dizzy. That's kind of like a big circle. That kind of sounds silly, doesn't it, in a way? It says the church will be on the earth during the tribulation to experience all the evil that we have never seen because the restrainer of the Holy Spirit through the church is still here right now. It says we're going to have to experience all of that. It's, it says the view holds the church has always been in tribulation because during its entire existence it has suffered persecution and trouble. The tribulation is not a future event but an ongoing present reality. Yeah, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. That's true. But that tribulation and the tribulation to come are two totally different things. The big problem with that view of the post-tribulation is it doesn't explain a very basic Bible question. The most basic being, how do non-glorified bodies enter into the millennium? Okay, If everyone is raptured, even the, even the uh, people who were saved during the Great Tribulation, it's going to be a great revival, as the Bible uh, we read and we know. At the rapture, if it happens just as Jesus is coming at his second coming and come back down for the millennium reign, then all the Old Testament prophecies about children not living, uh, not dying no more at, at, at being um, an infant and people not living to be less than 100. When you're in your glorified body, we don't die no more. Only if you're in your natural body will you still experience death. So then if that's the case, then how in the world do unnatural bodies enter into the millennium if everyone's raptured right before Christ's second coming? It just doesn't make sense at all. And now the views about the pre-tribulation view. Christians are raptured out of the world prior to the tribulation period beginning. And why does the Bible, Bible support a pre-tribulation rapture? Number one, here we go. It says, the church has no purpose in the tribulation. Well, that might kind of sound sanctimonious, but now listen to me, okay? The church is gone, and Revelation teaches that there's going to be 144,000 Jews who are saved instantaneously with the seal of God on their head to preach the gospel. And then the two witnesses for the first three and a half years who preach Jesus, preach salvation before the end, there's no purpose for the church. The church is gone. He has left 144,000 Jews given that responsibility to proclaim Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no purpose for us. Remember, the tribulation is God's final attempt 
final attempt to bring Israel to salvation and to prepare Messiah for a second coming and also to save Gentiles, but also to judge the world, the unbelievers, all the different judgments that come down at Revelation. It's horrific, the things that are going to happen. And we've been promised no condemnation, folks, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans eleven twenty five. Paul says, I do not want you, brethren, to be ignorant or uninformed of this mystery. Here we go again, another mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Israel has a hardness of heart right now. It's not permanent. It's only partial. Many of them don't believe Jesus is their Messiah. But in the end of the Great Tribulation, the remnant, those who are left, they will believe. They'll finally realize that their, their descendants have been wrong all of this time. They will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. After the last, the fullness of the Gentiles, when the last person that God has ordained to be saved and who will be saved, that's when the church is going to go. That's why he hasn't come back right now. He's given everyone a chance to come to faith in Christ. And there are still, I believe, with all the technology we have, I believe there are some small remote areas in the world who haven't heard the gospel yet, but they're going to. Some way, somehow, by God's grace and mercy, they will hear it and have an opportunity to make that decision. And then, get ready, get ready. The church is going, folks. We're going to be out of here. Number two, why the Bible supports a pre-tribulation rapture. There's no mention of the church in Revelations 4 through 18. And I'm not going to get into any, any specifics. Why is that? The church is gone. Enough said. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay? That's the end. That's the end of that one. Number three, the promise of Revelation 3.10. Listen to this. This was to the church of Philadelphia. It says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Another water break. A testing, the hour of testing on the whole world, has that happened yet? Nope. Hasn't happened since the flood. Not since then. There's not been a whole, the whole world has not been tested. Different regions of the world have been tested, but this is going to happen. The whole world, every nation, every tribe, every race is going to be tested during the Great Tribulation. And we've been promised to be spared from that time and period. Number four, the Bible's backing of the pre-tribulation view. The church has to be removed before the reign of the Antichrist. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery, here's another mystery, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed from the Lord, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end to the appearance by the appearance of his coming. We see evil 
all the time. The horrific shootings, uh, 9-11, the Holocaust, we've seen all of this. As horrific as those things were, it pales in comparison to what is going to happen in the Great Tribulation. We see remnants and parts of evil, but there's something keeping from the full force of evil being exposed, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. You, me, millions out there, millions of Christians throughout the world, that's keeping the power of Antichrist, and that's why I believe every generation, see, Satan has no idea that when exactly all this is going to happen. He knows it's going to happen because he knows the Bible front and back. But he does, he's not omniscient like God. So he, every generation, he has to have his man set in place when the time, okay, you're on, you're on, like get on stage. His time to have Antichrist ready to bring forth that last seven years of earth's history. And number five, number five, Christ took the wrath of God in our place. And what a mighty God we serve to send his only begotten son to die for us and suffer that horrific, painful death and separation for God from taking every sin of the world on us in some inexplainable way. He did that. He took that wrath that we so much deserve. Isn't that right? Romans 8 1 says, Therefore thou there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation for that murderer who's on death row and the few moments before he commits his life to the Lord. No condemnation for that man whatsoever. He is finally in Christ Jesus. For a Christian who backslides and they're in a backslidden condition and then they come back later and get their life right. No condemnation for that person whatsoever. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus, the Bible says... Paul affirmed it, there is no condemnation. I like to use this story, and I heard it once before. I'm going to tell you, there's a story of three cowboys. They're caught in a raging prairie fire. The fire started to get out of hand on the prairie. It surrounded them on three sides. You think they can just go back behind them and get away, but there is a very steep valley that they can't climb to get over to the other side. They're basically trapped. One of them said, quick, let's light a fire around the grass around us. And the other two cowboys said, are you out of your mind? We have a raging fire coming at us, and you want to light a fire around us? Well, that's crazy. That's insane. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, the fire cannot come where it is already burned. The fire cannot come where it has already burned. Folks, the fire of God was poured out at Calvary, on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. His wrath was taken once and once for all. That fire was poured on the Lord Jesus Christ that we deserved. And what a mighty Savior who was willing to die for you, willing to die for me. And those final few words Jesus said on the cross on John 19, 30, he said, it is finished in Greek. Te telestai, an accounting term. Jesus was saying, folks, it's paid in full. He paid it all. We don't have to pay for our sins if we've trusted in Christ in Savior. Now, the last question, so what? You know what? Many Christians are, are ignorant to 
about the rapture and Bible prophecy. I mean, I'm saved. What in the world do I have to worry about that for? Well, think about this. It should be a great motivation to reach unbelievers because time is running short, isn't it? If we see all of these events happening now, wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and, and hunger and all this stuff that Jesus said to look out for, that means his second coming is near. And if his second coming is near, the rapture, which happened seven years earlier, is even that much closer, isn't it? That's right. It should be a great motivation to reach unbelievers. That means the rapture is close when we see these things. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be uninformed of these things. What did he say in Luke 21, 28? He said, but when you see these things taking place, he said, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption, your full redemption is drawing near, is drawing near. The rapture is to be a glorious event that we should be longing for. It can happen at any moment while we're asleep tonight. It can happen driving down the road. Don't worry about where your vehicle is going. Don't make any difference after that. The car is going to go off the ditch or wherever it might be. It should be a, a, something we should be looking forward to because I don't know about you, the more evil this world gets, don't you just wish that God would just come and just take, it, just take us out because it, it's an endless road, this world is. This world is not our home. We'll finally be free of sin and, and sickness and worry. We'll be in God's presence forever. You know, there is too, far too much debate uh, about the rapture, and I don't think God wants it to be that way, but there is many doctrines in the Bible that there are many, many disputes about, it, and this is one of them. God wants us to encourage each other with these words. And listen to this quick little story. This 13-year-old girl had she had a dream, and it started out really well, but it ended horrible for her. Thank God it was just a dream. And let me tell you something. This is exactly what's going to happen to people after the rapture of the church that are left behind. Listen to this. She said, I once dreamed of the clear blue sky and the heavens way up high. There were all kinds of animals climbing up trees. There were mothers and fathers raking old leaves. There were children all over running and playing. There were really big churches shouting and praying. Then all of a sudden, the sky turned gray. I figured it was just a little drizzle on a lovely day. But no, I was wrong. Everyone was gone. Everyone was gone except me. Where did I go wrong? After I walked and looked very hard, I finally realized that this was being done by God. Then I saw people. So I wasn't alone. So I guess not everyone was gone. There were lots of chaos and a whole lot of noise. Suddenly it stopped at the large sound of a voice. The voice said, The others have been raptured, and all of you are left. So I suggest you take my mark, or else the choice is death. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what is going to happen if you are left behind. You don't want to be left behind. The rapture is real. The Bible teaches it. We need, all need to be ready. Prayed up, doing all of our work, everything that God would have us to do because our redemption, our full redemption is drawing near. 
Not only the second coming, but the rapture is our blessed hope. That's what the church is waiting for. That's what's next for the church. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer this morning. This has been a little bit different a message instead of te- teaching uh, just a specific teaching of Jesus and, and, or Scripture. This is a, about something that is yet to come, folks, the rapture of the church. And we got into it a little bit this morning, got our feet wet on it. It's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible teaches it. All of God's Word is true from Genesis to the maps. <laughs> it's all true. The question is, if you're listening this morning and you're not at a point where you know that you're not going to be left behind, you don't know that, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't hold off on what Christ would have for you. That gift of salvation wasn't for an exclusive group. It was for anyone and everyone who would come to faith in Jesus Christ, realizing and admitting they're a sinner and in need of a Savior This morning is your opportunity because there's no better time to become a Christian and to be a Christian right now with all the uncertainty of the world, the um, leadership in our country and and the world leaders who have things planned out that they think is best for mankind, you know, our economic status and and with uh, uh, this COVID thing going on and who knows, there's probably going to be something else down the road to have hope in those things. And in government is a waste, it's a failure. It never will work. Only a hope in what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through him. He said that not to keep people out of heaven, but to have as many people come into heaven, realizing he's the only way. He is the true hope we have. That's the only hope I have, not in government, not in a movement, uh, only in Christ and Christ alone. So this morning, if you're feeling on your heart, it's time to make a decision because your life isn't right where it needs to be and you're at your wit's end. This morning, you can become a follower of Christ. If you feel that whole God's Holy Spirit, that's what it is. God's Holy Spirit working on you. Don't hold off no longer because the next few minutes could be crucial. God could call your number. He's numbered every hair of our head. He knows the moment we're going to die. He knows the moment everything is to come to place. So won't you make that decision this morning? Wherever you are, if you're driving, please pull off the side of the road. If you're at work, you know, walk away for a moment if you can. Wherever, at home, outside, the grocery store, wherever you are, you can pray this simple prayer along with me. It's so easy, even a child could do it. Won't you pray this with me? Dear God, thank you for loving me, and I truly know of the sins that are in my life. And I'm sorry for those sins this morning. I realize there is no other hope but in Jesus. And I believe this morning what I've heard, that you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, not by anything that I've done, not by what I thought was good works, but by what Jesus and Jesus alone did on that cross to save me of my sins. And I'm asking for your forgiveness this morning. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now that you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all your heart, you now have received that free gift of salvation that Jesus paid 
once for all on that cross. We welcome you. You are a child of God. You're going to want to get into a Bible-believing church. Tell people, friends and family, that testimony of what Christ just did for you. Get into a Bible-believing church where they teach the whole counsel of God, not cherry-picking things that will tickle your ears and make you feel good for a while, things that are controversial, that they teach about sin and what sin does to a person. That's why we're in the we're here today. We realized that sin had the hold on of us, and we no longer wanted sin to be the master of our life. We chose Jesus. You're going to want to get into a Bible-believing church like this one. Um, information on Facebook or pvbaptistchurch.org. Daniel has all the information. An updated website it is great. It's easy. Even a child could use it. My mom and dad have learned how to use it now, and they're so grateful. You know, they're novices to the internet. It's a great tool. You, maybe you don't live around here. Find a local church that teaches all of God's Word. Get in it so you can grow. Other Christians can help you grow and to teach you, help you to become the Christian, the man or woman or child that God would want you to be. Father God, I pray this morning that no one who has been convicted and have been called to that great gift of salvation this morning, I pray that none of them will resist your call I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Pleasant View Sermons Podcast. For more information about our church, including service times and videos of our latest sermons, visit our website at www.pvbaptistchurch.org.